Good morning, everybody. It is Wednesday, October 11th, 2017. Uh, as always, it's Mike Lyon coming to you live with the Wicked Awesome Boston Sports Podcast. And we're entering somewhat uncharted territory for the podcast. This is the first time we're actually recording this show without the benefit of a Red Sox game or at least a series to look forward to. Uh, the Red Sox season obviously is now over, so we don't have the Red Sox to lean on and talk all about for the next uh, several months, but that's okay. We're going to do our best to bring you some good coverage. Anyway, we got, we're going to have plenty of Bruins and Celtics, and, and certainly for the fall and, the, and, and early winter, the Patriots to talk about uh, going forward. Today's going to be a relatively shorter show. Uh, not a ton to talk about today. None of the teams were active last night. Not a, not a huge number of stories coming out of uh, coming out of Boston. I'm going to take a break from the Red Sox. I'm not going to talk about John Farrell or Dustin Pedroia's knee injury or, or, or anything like that. I, I, I'm going to give it a little bit of time to cool off. And if, if anything happens with Farrell, then obviously we'll, we'll, we'll get in. A lot of people speculating that he's not going to be the manager next season. But if anything happens with him, we'll certainly talk about it. Uh, but let's start by talking about the Bruins because I feel like the Bruins have gotten somewhat short sh or short shrift, I guess is, is the best way of putting it, in the past couple of days. There's been uh, so much Red Sox uh, stuff going on. There's been Patriots stuff going on. They've been pretty busy playing the Thursday game last week that the Bruins have not gotten a ton of, of, of coverage here. And just to recap where they are, the Bruins won their first game on opening night. They won 4-3 to over the Nashville Predators, who, uh, if you're a hockey fan, you know is the defending Western Conference champion. That game was at home in the Garden. Bruins played well. Four goals, two by first-timers, and Jake DeBrusque and Charlie McAvoy. Um, and uh, a promising start. Uh, not, not the greatest defensive game in the world, but they did win the game. That's what counts. A win is a win is a win, right? They came back in a matinee on Monday at the Garden and got pounded <laughs> by a final score of four to three, or excuse me, not four to three, four to zero, uh, at the hands of the Colorado Avalanche, a team that finished well down in the standings. I don't exactly know where exactly they were. I know they were toward the last, toward last place in the Western Conference, uh, and had a high draft pick. Uh, I don't know again. I don't know exactly where they were. I know that they weren't a good team last year, and not necessarily expected to be a good one this year. Nevertheless, the Bruins get pounded at home on Monday, and it's way too early in the season to start breaking down the Bruins after two games. And I'm not going to do that here. Uh, it's just it's not worth it for me to say. Well, they should have done this better. They got to do this better. They got to you know that that's 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 the stuff. If you want that stuff, go turn on Sports Talk Radio. That's not what I'm here about. I'm not going to break down and go crazy about the Bruins after two games. Just like I'm not going to go crazy about the Celtics after two games. Um, I mean, the Red Sox, you know, they, the, when, when I started this podcast, they were in the middle of a pennant race. You know, attention's being paid to them. Yeah, you got to break down every game a little bit more. The Bruins season's too early for that, so I'm not going to go nuts and break down every Bruins game, uh, at least at this point. But... Uh, it is worth noting that the Bruins are already hit by the injury bug, which is a bug that hit them hard last season. Hockey is a is is a beast of a sport. You're going to get guys hurt all the time. Probably second only to football in terms of the frequency of the injuries, given how how violent the game is. 
but the Bruins were already hit pretty hard by the injury bug. If you haven't, if you haven't been paying attention, Patrice Bergeron has missed the first two games of the season. He's not going to play tonight. They've got another game against Colorado tonight. We're taping this podcast on Wednesday. The game is at, uh, I believe, 9.30 Eastern time if you want to stay up late and watch them play Colorado uh, on the back end of a home-and-home against the Avalanche. Bergeron did not make the trip there. He is hoping to be back this weekend. Um, And, of course, in in hockey, they call it an upper-body injury or a lower-body injury. You never know exactly what he has. I think it's called a lower-body injury. But he is hoping to be back this weekend. He did skate a little bit did some non-contact drills in practice uh, yesterday. So he may be back in the lineup this weekend. Uh, He's not the only one. Tori Krug missed the first game in the last couple of weeks of training camp. He did play in the game on Monday, though. So he's back in the lineup alongside his regular partner, Adam McQuaid. So that's good news. So, the you know, like I said, the the injury bug's already biting the Bruins. That's okay, and and this is what I want to focus on again. Injuries are going to happen in the National Hockey League. Like I said, it's a violent game. They're going to happen. It's unavoidable. This year, though, the Bruins seem like they're much better prepared to weather that storm than they have been in past years. It just—it seems like they've got a ton of depth back down, you know, in 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 the minor leagues and in Providence. Uh, They're already relying on a lot of young talent so early in the season, and they're already planning on on relying on that talent pretty much throughout the year. So the Bruins, they, they, they announced this morning or last night, I think, that they're bringing up Danton Heinen, and he'll, he'll be in the lineup against Colorado. So another young guy getting a taste of, of, of NHL action. Early on in the season, he did have some, some games last year, but he'll be back up, and potentially for a little while, depending on what happens with, uh, with the roster. But the Bruins do seem better prepared this year to weather that storm to get some injuries into the lineup, to get some guys into that lineup to take the place of the injured players. You don't think they're going to skip as much of a beat this year as they did seem to last year. Um, that was one of the biggest concerns with the Bruins. They just they, they did not have any depth last season beyond the top six. And you can call the depth again into question beyond the top six because nobody's proven themselves, but at least you've got a lot of guys who, one, have playoff experience, a lot of young guys who have some playoff experience. Sean Corrali was in the lineup in the playoffs, was pretty productive. Heinen was in the lineup in the playoffs too, productive. Uh, you, you've got some guys who can step into those roles and, uh, and and you know have the chance to be really good there. Last year, I mean, when the Bruins would roll out their third and fourth lines, I mean, the fourth line was good defensively, but just generally didn't have much of a chance to score. The third line was pretty much a non-factor all season, no matter who was on it. And like I said, there's guys in Providence who are ready to play now. There's guys in Providence who who Cassidy can rely on uh, to come in and and, and get some good shifts, get some some goal-scoring opportunities. And it didn't seem like the Bruins had that last year. So... They are weathering the injury bug already. I mean, getting having Patrice Bergeron go out right before the, the start of the season is never a good thing. You're losing your best player that quickly. But the Bruins are built, I think, this year to weather that storm a little bit better. We will see if they do it. The other guy that's the, the two other guys, by the way, that have gone down. Just to recap it, David Backus is going to be out about a month. He has diverticulitis, which is no joke. 
uh, that's uh, it, it's it's essentially if you don't know it, you don't see this you don't see this ailment a lot in professional sports. Uh, it's a it's a sickness, not an injury. Um, it has to do with uh, the, the the intestinal system and the the, the, the the colonic system, if you will, the digestive system. Um, it's a disease in, in, in there. You know, a medical professional could could explain it, you know, much better than I could. But uh, it's it's got to be treated. I, I think it's bacterial, so it's he's he's got to be treated with some antibiotics. So. He's gonna miss a little bit of time. It's it's no picnic to get diverticulitis. You wish David Backus the uh, the best in his recovery from that. Um, and Noel Ashari uh, also is missing some time. He's out of the lineup with an upper body injury, uh, so they lack some depth immediately on 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 kind of the back end of those lines. But uh, you know, like I said, the Bruins have guys that that can weather this storm, uh, that can play and, and step up in certain roles. You know, I, I again, it is way, way, way too early to to really judge the Bruins and uh, give an give an honest analysis of, of where they are as a team and and where they're going. They're playing tonight. They got a game against Colorado. It's on too late for me. Uh, I'm not going to be able to stay up and watch that. You know, with 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 with, the, with young children. You know, families with young children they have to get up early and get their kids ready for school and then go to work. The late games are, are, are never a picnic, and you know it's it's somewhat of a blessing in disguise that uh, that, uh, that that the, that the Red Sox are not going to continue, and I, I don't have to stay up late and watch all these games. But uh, in any event, I'm not going to be able to stay up and watch the Bruins game. That being said, we'll recap it. We'll we'll look at the highlights and, and, and see the stories. We'll recap it for you tomorrow. Get into the goal scoring and everything like that. And I promise there'll be a lot more Bruins coverage throughout the year. So with the uh, with the lack of, of, of professional Boston sports coverage and even college sports coverage in, in, in the general area of Boston, I want to uh, I want to turn the attention to something that I'm not going to talk about a lot, and that's soccer. And I'll confess something up front: I am a soccer fan. It is not my favorite sport to watch, but I do really enjoy watching. Uh, I really enjoy watching the World Cup. Always have, always will. Uh, I also I enjoy watching the Euro tournaments. Uh, they happen, you know, so it's basically the European World Cup every four years over in Europe. Really like that. I, I used to like watching the Premier League in England. I still do, but I don't get to do it as much anymore. And, and you know, it's, it is what it is. It's on NBC. Uh, I enjoy it. It's not my favorite thing in the world. I, but I do really, really enjoy the World Cup. Always have, always will. It's, you know, one of the only sports events. It's not the only sporting event, but it is one of the only sporting events that really brings the entire country together. And if you leave the United States, it, it's it's this times four thousand uh, in any country where any any country where you are, the entire country comes together to root for one team. I mean, you don't see a ton of Americans rooting against the United States in the World Cup. Just like you don't see a ton of Germans rooting against Germany. Or a ton of, you know, a ton of French rooting against France. Or a ton of Brazilians rooting against Brazil. Pretty much everybody roots for their country where they're, they're from. No matter your 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 thoughts on, on politics or, or the issues of the day. So I really, I really enjoy the World Cup. Always enjoy it every four years. Always get very, very into it. Until now. 
And the reason that I will not be into the 2018 version of the World Cup is because of what happened last night. And the, if you didn't see it, and if you don't want to pay attention to soccer, then turn this off because we're not going to talk about much else today. The big news for me last night was the United States men's soccer team losing 2-1 to one to a country called Trinidad and Tobago, which is a country I heard of, but I could not pick it out on a map if I tried. And that result combined with a Honduras victory over Mexico and a Panama victory over Costa Rica, which was secured on a late goal uh, by, the, by, by, by Panama in like the 86th or 87th minute, eliminated the United States from the World Cup. And so if, if you're planning on watching the World Cup next year, you're not going to see the United States in it. And that is profoundly disappointing for me. Profoundly disappointing. Like I said, I, I enjoy watching the World Cup. I, I enjoy watching the, 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 the country react to it. I enjoy getting behind the United States men's, men's soccer team. I like the Women's World Cup a lot, too. Just to be clear, I really enjoy the world, the Women's World Cup, and the, the women's team is is very clearly significantly better than the men's team and is a lot of fun to watch. So if you can, in 2019, watch the Women's World Cup because, you know, quite frankly, it's probably going to be more entertaining to you. But with respect to the men, i got to say something. It, it's it, it, Did you see the Taylor Twelman rant on this, by the way? Taylor Twelman, if you don't know him, and if you don't, again, if you don't follow soccer, you wouldn't. But Taylor Twelman is a veteran soccer player. He's an analyst now for ESPN, has been for several years. Used to play for the New England Revolution at one point. Was on the United States national team for some time. He got a few concussions, and that ended his career. Taylor Twelman by, is, by and large, one of the, the best analysts in sports today one of the best. He's very, very sharp when he when he, when he commentates a soccer game. He'll break it down for you. He'll, he'll tell you exactly what formations mean and what kind of strategies each team is playing. He's very, very good. He's very honest. He's very candid in his analysis. And last night was no exception. That game ended and Taylor Twelman went on an epic rant on, on ESPN. Uh... It lasted like three or four minutes long and just calling into question the United States soccer system and its inability to, to, to get to the World Cup this year. If you're, if, if you're in any way interested in soccer uh, on a national level, I would highly encourage you to go on Google and, and find this. You'll be able to see it. So everybody this morning, after the Twelman ran, is, is searching for answers at least in the in the soccer community everybody's searching for answers you know what why how is it possible that the united states could miss the world cup how is it possible that the, that 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 the us men's soccer team could lose a game to trinidad and tobago uh, when, when all they really needed to, needed to do was tie or, or draw the game and they probably would have gone through to the world cup how is this even possible that that they could not make it out of 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 qualifying for the world cup and I don't have the answer to that. I mean, I'm not smart enough to know what the failure was. I mean, I know they, 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 they went and got themselves a new coach midway through this, this round of qualifying. And, and there was a new coach this, this week, that last night. Bruce Arena kind of came back. And 
he was the coach of the team a long time ago, and, and recently they fired Klinsman, Jurgen Klinsman, and brought Bruce Arena back, and tried to rejolt the team. And I, I, I can't answer that question. I don't know what's going to make, you know, how, how to fix it, how to get you know U.S. soccer back to the World Cup. But I do know this: it's going to take. I mean. U.S. soccer is simply not on, not at the level, and is nowhere close to the level of the best soccer teams in the world. And everybody says, "Well, you know, we have we have 330 million people here. You know, we got 330 million people. There's got to be, you know, and and, there, and there's so many kids that play soccer out there. We, we've got to be able to do better in, in fielding a team the way we have, and so on and so forth. And that's all true to some extent." You know, we, we've got a bigger, more diverse talent pool to draw from. The one thing you got to remember, and, and it's been brought up before, I, I wasn't—I didn't see this mentioned a lot. I mean, the, the one thing I saw mentioned a lot on Twitter was you've got to end the pay-for-play structure of U.S. soccer. I mean, kids have to, in, by and large, pay to play on competitive soccer teams, whereas in, in other countries they don't. It's, it's just kind of ingrained and you come up through the ranks with without having to pay for it. I'm okay with that. You want to you know you want to make a movement to end that, that's fine. The one thing you've got to remember in the United States is soccer is competing with multiple other sports. Multiple other sports where kids take their talents instead of the soccer pitch. You know, in the inner city, soccer isn't, you know, soccer's barely mentioned in the, in the in the inner cities of the country. Basketball rules football rules you know baseball may be getting phased out but baseball is still more popular than soccer you know it's it's difficult for me one to see how soccer what, what is soccer going to do to attract high-level athletes away from these other sports that are just so much more ingrained in American culture and so much more a part of 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 you know the, the the national media presence and ESPN and and TV structures and all and everything like that. You know, it's not like you can't get soccer everywhere. It's not like soccer isn't popular. It is. It's quite popular. It's obviously the most popular sport in the world. But in a place like Germany, while Germans there are there are certainly some very good basketball players over in Germany. There are certainly some very good hockey players in other parts of Europe. Uh, you know, Sweden, Norway, Finland, Russia, obviously. You know, the other sports do not dominate culture or, or, or do not have even the presence in different countries like they do in the United States of America. And, and as long as that is the norm, and it always will be, quite frankly here in the United States, or at least it will be for the foreseeable future. I don't really see how the United States soccer, you know, how, how U.S. soccer as a whole gets better and starts attracting these type of high-level athletes into soccer as opposed to other sports. I, you know, I, I, for all the people that want this to change, I mean, look, the United States should be in the World Cup. It's, it's an absolute failure that they're not. Don't get me wrong. You know, it's 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 a total and complete embarrassment that they could not get to the World Cup this year, because they're still. I mean, look, as inferior as they are to certain countries, they're still good enough to get in, and the fact that they did not get get in is certainly an embarrassment.
but I just think it's it's going to be extremely, extremely hard. I mean, we've been having this conversation since I was a kid. And it's going to be extremely, extremely, extremely hard for soccer to make the, the type of footprint into youth sports and into the culture of America as a whole that it really needs to have uh, in order to survive. Or in order to, to thrive, I guess is the better way of putting it. And to get these type of high-level athletes to play soccer instead of instead of another sport. The other thing that really has to change, and I know I'm kind of waxing poetic here, but the style of play has to either change for the United States or get really, really tightened up. You watch European teams or, or the Brazilians or the Colombians or uh, Argentina, you know, any of the other world powers out there, Italians, you know, any of these teams... That, that that are really, really good at soccer. you have any idea how tight they are with the ball? Their passing is pinpoint. You know, the ball possession is is outstanding. You know, they're, they're, their game is just so much more refined than the United, United States game is. And it's obvious anytime... I mean, even the, the World Cup game we played four years ago against Belgium in the second round. A very near win for the United States. Some would argue they should have won the game. Uh, they had a shot, you know, late in regulation that would have won it, I think, for them, and the, and the guy blasted the ball over the net. Uh, but even in that game, I mean, Belgium dominated that game. The difference in style was so apparent. So, I mean, it was just so apparent. If you put the United States up against any of these world powers I mean the US just gets dominated year after year after year because the other countries are so much more fluid and so much more like I said refined in their style of play than the United States is so until that change is made I mean you know I it, it, it just it seems to be a stylistic thing to me again I'm not smart enough to know it I'm not smart enough to understand this. I played soccer when I was really, really, really young until I was in eighth grade. I'm not a soccer expert by any stretch of the imagination. I don't know a ton about it. But it just seems to me that every time we play this game against another country that is that is perceived to be better at soccer than we are, the difference in style is just is is manifest out there. It's obvious. And it's been that way for years and years and years. And it seems to me like, that's a change you can implement right away. Like, you can start getting better at the stylistic, you know, the, the stylistic parts of soccer and the systemic parts of soccer right away. You don't need better athletes to do that. Now we'll take a high up. So for the, the non-soccer fans out there, I mean, and, and the people who are saying, why are you covering this on, on this podcast? Well, one, it's a slow news day. Uh, so we're going to talk about something. But second, like I already said, I, I think the World Cup, I mean, first of all, it is it, it is possibly, it's argu arguably, but arguably it is the biggest sports event in the world every four years. Like, in the world. I mean, you know, countries literally shut down to watch the World Cup. And I think the United States... You know, the United States World Cup time does have a pretty big soccer following already. And I think it could be even bigger if the United States were even better. And I think 
you know, I, I don't know if the United States is ever going to get to a point where it's going to be a threat to a World Cup in soccer. Certainly won't in 2018. Doesn't seem like it's happening anytime soon. But I think with some changes, they could be better than what they are. And with those changes and, and implementing these kind of system, systemic changes, I think you're going to increase awareness in soccer, interest in soccer, and, you know, maybe get some more people involved in soccer who wouldn't already be involved in soccer. And I, like I said, I think soccer is, is a very cool sport. It is a slow sport to watch on TV, don't get me wrong, but it's a very cool sport overall. And if more people are, were into it, World Cup time, I think it could benefit the country, you know, in, in, in terms of its sports following even more. So I'm a big soccer fan. I needed to talk about that this morning to get that off my chest. Uh, you won't hear me talk about U.S. soccer very much anymore on this podcast. That's for certain. So before we, we conclude, let's very briefly recap where we are with the Patriots, because I feel like we haven't talked past in a while, um, considering they didn't play this past weekend and they play again this Sunday. The game Sunday is against the New York Jets, a team that I know everybody listening to this podcast is familiar with. The uh, The Jets come into the game a very surprising 3-2, and two, although the three wins are nothing to write home about. Uh, they just barely beat a really, really bad Cleveland team on the road last week, 17-14. Uh, but they did beat the Dolphins in the division. Uh, I, think they, I think they beat Jacksonville. I forget who it was. Um, they are three and two, and and what I, I I have said something which I you know I've said probably said it on this podcast before. I'm going to say it again now. Winning breeds winning. You know, it, 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 if you keep winning, more wins are going to follow. And the Jets having won three games in the face of a season where a lot of people thought they were going to go zero and sixteen, they are very clearly tanking the season, shedding some salary and preparing for the future, give them an awful lot of credit, an awful lot of credit for for being 3-2 and two early on in the season. They may not win another one, but, you know, they've at least shown that they want to be competitive, that they're going to, that, that, that they're going to play their hearts out. Uh, and they're in a position now against the Patriots where if they win, believe it or not, they're going to be in the lead in the division. We got three teams tied at the top of the AFC East at three and two: the Jets, the Patriots, and the Bills. And none of them have distinguished themselves so far. I don't think anybody out there truly believes a team led by Tom Brady and Bill Belichick is going to lose this division. I know I don't. You know, I think at the end of the season, the Patriots are still going to win this division, probably going away. You know, and even if they lose this game against the Jets, I still think that's going to happen. But the Jets are emboldened, you know. They've they they they've they've done well coming together in that locker room, which has been really fractured in the past couple of years. They've done really well to come together in that locker room. So give them a lot of credit. And oh, by the way, before you chalk this one up as a win for the Patriots because they're more talented than the Jets, and they should win this game. Don't get me wrong; they should win this game. But oh, by the way, before you chalk it up as a win, the Patriots do not play well in New York. They never play well there. Weird stuff always happens there. Always. If you look at the results from the past several years, the last big win the Patriots had in New York, I think, was the butt fumble game against Mark Sanchez. I think they, you know, maybe there was a year after that 
where they won going away. But even that game was close. I was up there for a game with my brother-in-law in the Meadowlands. That might have come right after the butt fumble game. They, there was they had a close game against the Jets. Took a big lead in the first half, like a thirteen to three lead. The Patriots came all the way back, uh, scored a touchdown right before halftime to like tie the score and one going away in the second half. But even that game wasn't all that close. Everything since then, since the butt fumble in that game happened, has been really, really close. The Jets won one of those. There was that game in, in overtime where the Jets had a field goal attempt and the Patriots got penalized for unsportsmanlike conduct. That happened a couple years ago. The Jets got, you know, they got to re-kick the field goal and made it and won the game. You know, but even when the Patriots went up there, it's never, it's never easy. The year they won the Super Bowl, in fact, last year, not just last, last year when they won the Super Bowl, the Patriots only won by five points up there. I would argue it should have been seven because a, a James White two-point conversion was reversed on a really, I thought, a really, really poor replay reversal. So I, I think it should have been a seven-point win anyway. But uh, the Jets had the ball, and if they had scored a touchdown on that drive, they would have won the game. They didn't. The Patriots won by a point. 17 to 16. That might have been the year they went to the Super Bowl against the Seahawks. I, I don't remember, but you know, so they got a one-point win. They got an overtime win, I think, in there. They had a five-point win last year. So you know, before you chalk this up as a victory, they don't play well in New York. It's always a struggle there. And now that the Jets are emboldened and have some wins under their belt, I would not expect this to be a big result either. A big win. So we'll break the game down later in the week once we have a better idea of who's going to play and what the line is going to be. But don't chalk this up as a big win just yet. That's all I'm going to say for now. We'll talk more Patriots as the week goes on. So that is our show for today. Thanks to everybody who's listening on a, a, a nice morning, a Wednesday morning, a slow news day. Uh, thanks for listen, listening to me go off about U.S. soccer for a little bit, and we'll be talking about that much more. Uh, tomorrow, we'll get a little busier. We will have a Bruins game to talk about to break down for you. We will start getting into the Celtics a little bit more because I think their preseason schedule either ends tonight or tomorrow. We'll have a better idea who, of who's going to be on that roster. If you are planning ahead, we will do a full Celtics preview next Tuesday, the 17th. will be Celtics preview day. That is the day that they begin their season against uh, Cleveland. That game's at seven. That game will be at night on TNT, as I already said. Um, so we'll do a full Celtics preview next Tuesday on the 17th. Maybe we'll start talking about them a little bit more tomorrow. Uh, we'll obviously get more into the Patriots game tomorrow as well. We'll have an injury report to talk about, have a better idea of what the line is and uh, how the game may shake out. Friday, of course, will be Patriots preview Friday. There will be... Uh, we'll do a full preview on the Jets and, and, and how we think that game is going to shake out and uh, how it's how it's going to go. For now, this is the Wicked Awesome Boston Sports Podcast. Thank you to all of our listeners. Remember, you can get us on Anchor uh, as it goes on. You can also get us wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Google Play. We get that episode up in the morning. So thanks to everybody listening, wherever you may be and however you may be doing it. This has been Mike Lyon with the Wicked Awesome Boston Sports Podcast. Make it a great Wednesday. We will see you tomorrow morning. Goodbye, everybody.